If you don't believe in yourself, who will? John Morant said that, and I'm saying this. Welcome to High and Low. Good day and good night. Welcome to the High and Low Basketball Show. Thank you for joining me. This is episode number 100 and Baines, a.k.a. episode number 146. NBA center Aaron Baines wore the number 46 as a member of the Celtics, the Suns, the Raptors. And according to Baines, he chose the number 46 because the birthdays of his wife and kids add up to the number 46. So, So he chose it for family. I don't have friends. I got family. Very Dominic Toretto of him. Speaking of Dominic Toretto, I can't believe we are um, we're looking at the 10th installment of Fast and Furious. I feel like it was just yesterday when they introduced The Rock to the franchise in Fast Five. Time flies at light speed. Anyway, my name is Ike Amechi, and around here we live by principle, governed by the high and low lives of the world, which means we talk about basketball, especially and specifically the NBA, and we talk about it at any time, anywhere, north, south, east, west, high and low. This week on High and Low, I'm going to manifest the love-hate relationship many basketball connoisseurs and fans have with the NBA by sharing what I love about the league right now and what I absolutely hate. Did you hear that? Actually, hate's a strong word. Maybe I'll, I don't know, hate. We'll use it for now. Anyway, before I get into that, I'm going to answer a listener's question about dynamic duos. I guess this is stemming from last episode. Anyway, stay tuned for that. Before I lock in, let me just quickly check in on the last episode where I talked about Nikola Jokic looking at a third MVP and how it's only happened twice. What did you say? I must be losing my mind because I know it wasn't twice. It was three times. Not only did Larry Bird and Will Chamberlain do that, Bill Russell won three straight MVPs from 1961 to 1963. So my fault. I missed that one. Uh, the point I was making still stands because Bill Russell won chips in all three of those seasons. And of course, man, I have to say this, this isn't about a regular season MVP versus a finals MVP. It's a side-by-side comparison of the other elite players that managed to do these, do these things in their MVP campaigns. That is all. Now let's get into another week. Another episode, more NBA, so of course, more high and low. This week in NBA history, Dirk joined the Dirty 30 Club. On March 7th, 2017, Dirk Nowitzki and his Dallas Mavericks hosted a Los Angeles Lakers squad fresh off a Kobe retirement and boasting a roster featuring some future stars, some young guns, so to speak. Brandon Ingram, Julius Randle, D'Angelo Russell, Jordan Clarkson, the game itself was pretty academic as the Mavs beat the Lakers 122 to 111, but it was memorable for one reason alone. In this game, Dirk Nowitzki would score his 30,000th career point and be only the sixth player in the history of the league to reach that benchmark. Now, I was having a conversation with High and Low Life Biggums from Thousand Oaks, California, the other day, and we were talking about how Dirk is underrated and how that I could be Nikola Jokic years from now Get the fuck out of here. you know no one questions Dirk's talent he was an absolute monster 
and that magical title run in 2011. It really puts him in the pantheon for me. Um, this running through Kobe and Powell in LA, LeBron and D-Wade in Miami. We all remember D-Wade and LeBron making fun of Dirk. And he did it as the lone superstar surrounded by a great supporting cast, but he was the lone superstar. Absolutely special. And that's pretty good for a guy who started his pro career playing in a second tier German Bundesliga. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did you just say to me? <laughs> anyway, um, you don't hear Dirk's name in the top 10 or top 20 conversations, even though he might be the original archetype for today's big man. You know, Dirk was a shooter at seven feet. You know, traditionalists would have locked him in as a center for life, but he was able to show his entire bag as a stretch four before the term stretch four was even a term. You know, he played 21 seasons in Dallas and the majority of that time he was a centerpiece. So it's no real surprise he was able to get to 30K. Dirk was the tortoise that beat many a hare to the finish line. Let's put it that way. Amen, brother. Amen. Love this. All right. Fun fact about Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, When he was a teenager, he played in a Nike Hoop Heroes Tour. The tour featured players like Scottie Pippen and Charles Barkley, both of whom Dirk played against head-to-head. In a game where Dirk was matched up with Sir Charles, Dirk outplayed Chuck, no question. He even dunked on him. And after the game, Charles Barkley said, and I quote, uh, the boy is a genius. If he wants to enter the NBA, he can call me. I don't know, I'd say Charles Barkley saw the talent in Dirk for sure, but I, I think that was a little bit of his ego talking. Maybe a little bit of a self-preservation. But anyway, shout out to the Hall of Famer, Dirk Nowitzki. That's a little something for the NBA history nerds. Things are certainly happening in the NBA today, so let's talk about it. Let's talk about something important. I have a listener question from Lucas G in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Shout out to Cambridge. Shout out to Cambridge, Massachusetts. Shout out to all the Cambridges of the world. Anyway, Lucas's question is this. I noticed that LeBron James and Anthony Davis were missing from the top five dynamic duos list last week. They're a top five duo for sure. Where would you rank them? Lucas, (laughs) we're not going to agree on this one. In fact, I strongly disagree. I mean, top five, top five is, that's wild. That's wild. LeBron and AD, uh, they can barely stay healthy. And I mean, it's been that way since AD joined LeBron in LA. This season is no different, more of the same. They've only played in 28 games together. Uh, They've each put up some good numbers in those games. On the surface, you know, LeBron's averaged 26, 8, and 6, while AD's averaged 25, 11, and 3, but it's an illusion. It's an illusion. Let's, let's, Let's reveal the truth beneath that purple and gold veil. You know, those stats are below seasonal averages for both players. And most importantly, the Lakers are 500 in those 28 games. 14 wins, 14 L's. You know, those are mid-tier stats. And, I mean, I got I to judge these players by what they've done lately. You know, no legacy points here. None. None. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lucas. <laughs> we can agree to disagree. Uh, maybe other high and low lights would agree. You know, Shepard in NC, who dropped that list, 
uh, in the last episode. I'm pretty sure he'd agree with me, but I'm just saying, I don't know. I don't want to make any assumptions. Uh, actually, speaking of Shepard and his list, let me just quickly list it off. Uh, he had Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown at number one, top duo in the league. Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray at number two. Kevin Durant and Devin Booker at number three. Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving at number four. Joel Embiid and James Harden at number five. So just glancing at that again, I don't know, maybe Luka and Kyrie. I could see people putting LeBron and AD ahead of Luka and Kyrie. But regardless, I appreciate you, Lucas. Thank you for your question. Quick reminder to High and Low Lights, if you want to leave a question for us, to answer on the show, drop a DM on TikTok and more high and low, Instagram and get high and low. Links are in the show notes. Feels like a good time for us to take a break. When we come back, let's give it to some love and hate. We'll be right back with more high and low. This moment is brought to you by High and Low listeners and sponsored by John Morant's publicist. This week, we asked you to share your top five NBA champions for the last 20 years. We heard from Shango, Shango and Shreveport, where he shared his list from five to one, starting with 2010 Los Angeles Lakers at number five. And then at number four, he's got the 2011 Dallas Mavericks. Speaking of them, uh, number three, we've got the 2016 Cleveland Cavaliers. Down 3-1 to come back. Goodness gracious. And at number two, 2014 Spurs, who absolutely embarrassed, embarrassed the Miami Heat and pretty much put an end to that run. And then we have the 2018 Warriors, the Golden State Warriors. I believe this is the year they swept the Cavs. This was a strong team with, I think, Kevin, Dur- Kevin Durant was on that team. Hard to disagree with that. Anyway, Shango, I appreciate your picks this week. Thank you. Let's get back to high and low. And we are back. I'm Ike Amici, and you're listening to the High and Low Basketball Show. The basketball connoisseur, the NBA connoisseur, the hoopologist, you know, those who appreciate the game of basketball, you know, appreciate the NBA product. They have a love hate relationship with the NBA. You know, you can love everything about the NBA and still find so much to hate about it on a nightly basis. It's the nature of sports fandom. Actually, but I'll refrain from using the term fan in this instance, because some people can see fanaticism as like a pejorative word, an insult, you know, so let's call it passionate appreciation. And uh, you can think of that passion in the same way you can conceptualize unconditional love of family. You know, two siblings can fight like they hate each other one moment, but love one another no matter what all the time. That's the deal, right? And that's how many people who love the game of basketball view the NBA. So much to hate, so much to hate, so much that frustrates you. But at the end of the day, you still love the game. And I'm going to practice a bit of love-hate right now by sharing what I love about the league right now and what I hate. Again, hate's a strong word. Let's go with abhor. Actually, abhor is pretty strong, too. 
loathe. Let's, yeah, let's go with loathe or detest. Actually, uh, you know, I think those words might even be worse. Let's, I don't know, dislike, dislike. Let's settle with dislike. I suppose it's semantics, but do you know what I mean? I want to start with love. You know what I love about the NBA today? I love parody. There are definitely some title favorites this season, but that's plural. Favorites. The title picture is wide open, more so than it's been in years. You know, there have been pockets of time where you you don't have an overwhelming favorite to win a championship. Guaranteed. I, I won't deny that. But this feels different. The playoff picture in the West is is a mess. But you, you have Denver at the top. You know, then you have Phoenix with Kevin Durant. They've risen from that heap while John Morant's uh, antics have put Memphis's title contention in jeopardy. Uh, People, including myself, still talk about the Warriors who were fifth in the conference at the time of this recording. But I don't know, that that might be an old habit that's dying hard. Uh, In the East, there's Milwaukee, Boston. They appear to be the front runners while Philly kind of hangs around in that third spot. Anyway, the point is there's no dominant pick. You know, a foregone conclusion like we've had before. We've had four different teams win the title in the last four years. That's parody. That's exciting. There were seasons when we knew LeBron and his Cavs were going to go to the finals or LeBron and his Miami Heat were going to the finals. We knew that the Warriors, would that they would coast to the finals. They'd win the title. There were seasons when we expected the most from the Lakers or the Spurs. You know, the 90s belonged to Jordan and the Bulls, the 80s were all about Magic and Bird, Boston and L.A. It became too predictable. In my opinion, there are two title runs in the last 20 years that baffled the NBA world and made it exciting, despite what haters say. Dallas in 2011, as I mentioned before, they beat the Heat in six games for Larry O'Brien after shockingly sweeping a Kobe-led Lakers squad in the second round, and then a dangerous OKC team with Durant, Harden, and Westbrook a year before they would make it to the finals themselves. Like, no one saw Dallas coming, especially Laker and Heat fans, especially Laker and Heat fans. The other title run was in 2019. Another team no one saw coming. Kawhi Leonard and the Toronto Raptors. (laughs) A one-year rental project that actually worked. You know, they were a contender, right? They're the second best record in the East that year. But there's a difference between being a contender and being the contender. Milwaukee was the contender. And Toronto dispatched Giannis in six games. I say Giannis, like it's a one-man team. Giannis and the Bucks. they were dispatched in six games in the Eastern Conference Finals, a moment that would fuel the Bucks for succeeding seasons and bring them their first title in three decades eventually. Many people have dismissed Toronto's performance in the finals versus Golden State. You know, Kevin Durant ruptured his Achilles. Klay Thompson blew out his knee during the series. Everything that could go wrong went wrong for the favorites to three-peat. And it all ended in six games. Say what you will about the Toronto Raptors title in 2019, but it changed everything. The NBA has been in flux ever since. You know, this was sort of a cataclysmic moment for the league, the beginning of a period in which we saw parity in the results. 
you know, during this time, we saw the end of super teams and the rebirth of duos, dynamic duos, right? Or teams featuring one superstar. My goodness. You know, the league, it's, it sort of spread its wealth a bit more. And it makes, it makes for more enjoyable games to watch, you know, aside from the teams that are tanking for Wemby. That's atrocious. Those are very skippable matchups. But I love what I see overall. You know, we'll most likely see five different teams win the title in five years. That hasn't happened since the 70s when Portland won in 77, followed by the Washington Bullets, Seattle Supersonics, then the Lakers, and then the Celtics. That's parody. And I love it. Anyway, let's take a quick break. When I come back, I'm going to talk about what I hate. What I hate. Sorry. What I dislike. Uh, This is high and low. We were on a break. And I am back. I'm Ike Amechi. This is high and low. And this is love and hate. Uh, I talked about what I love. And now we get into the other side of this thing. Dislike. Players behaving badly. NBA players are public figures. NBA stars are celebrities. They are brands. You know, they there is a responsibility that is rested on the shoulders of an NBA star, whether they want it or not. And for those that fight it, the option to exit stage left is never too far. And it's an option that has been exercised for NBA players before, to be honest. You know, think of all the players who've showed promise and potential and for reasons unknown or known, that potential, that promise, uh, that bit of stardom, it just evaporates along with the money and the notoriety, gone. When players sign multi-million dollar contracts with the league, with corporations, there are expectations that are tethered to those zeros on those checks. NBA stars become a source of revenue for these entities. And it's, it's a breach of that contract. If they do anything to jeopardize that revenue outside of injury, of course, that's the business of basketball, whether we like it or not, that's business period. And the expectation is that you be a professional and you leave the shenanigans behind. We can't say that about John Morant. Can we? Let's get this party started now. John Morant has been one of the most exciting players to watch in decades. We've talked about unicorns. This guy's a unicorn in a different way. He's highly skilled, high basketball IQ. He's entertaining to watch on the court. He's a leader on the floor and in the locker room. He shifted the culture of the franchise. John Morant checks every box. Or so we think. You know, he turned the Grizzlies into a contender and gave that roster the confidence to stand toe-to-toe with the best of the best. You know, he even gave Dylan Brooks agency to act out like he does. You know, watching Dylan Brooks play is like watching the Pistons in 1988. On the other side of that, Jaron Jackson Jr. has been, he's been looking like Defensive Player of the Year all year. And it's just the confidence that Ja has given that team to really perform at their best He's the engine of that franchise, and he's given the Grizzlies a distinct identity. And that's hard to do. You know, it's been incredible to watch because it's rare to find a player that can 
be everything everywhere all at once. Just to quote that movie. I love that film. Absolutely not. But we've been seeing flashes of this other side of Ja. Beyond the skirmishes at courtside involving his people, you know, we've read reports about John Moran getting into dangerous altercations in public, you know, apparently insulting a teenager on a basketball court. I don't know. I don't know the details of that. Don't want to know. You've heard about incidents with his entourage behaving in threatening manner. I don't know. Yada, yada, yada. We hear about Ja revealing certain things on IG Live and now the league's investigating. He's been suspended. Uh, it's not going in the right direction. Perception is everything. And if a player with John Moran's talent and ability is perceived to be a certain way, it can risk everything. And it can risk it for his family, his friends, his team. You know, there are people that rely on him at this point. You know, he's in a position of leadership in his circle. No one is in a position to tell Ja who he can keep in that circle. That's his decision. But he has to move smarter. He's not the only superstar who's had friends of a certain nature, but he has to manage his folk just like others have to, or else it all goes away. And I'll circle back and amend what I said at the beginning. It's not about disliking players that behave badly. This isn't preschool, man. I'm advocating for players being smarter with their decisions. And I'll leave it at that. Before we part ways this week, let me add another song to High and Low's NBA soundtrack. Uh, You know, I love doing this. It might be a while until we see John Morant come back, so it's only fitting that we add a track that represents all the things that got him to this point. This song is called No Chill by Duckworth. Get your ass up the high horse that you rode in here on. You know I'm trying to slap more stuck inside for too long I might shout my ass tonight my god tell the models keep the bottles uh, check out his music when you get a chance Duckworth is certified man certified anyway John Morant and his circle have had no chill up until now but let's hope he can turn this around and get back to where he needs to be why the fuck I can't shoot three point shots and that brings us to the end of this episode of High and Low. Thank you for joining me. Subscribe to High and Low anywhere you find podcasts. Make us a part of your weekly routine. Once again, music is by live of the Enjoy Music Group. You can find live on Twitter and on Instagram at LYVE. Additional music is by Sonny Rockwell of The Goodness. Can't find that guy anywhere. Sound design by Vaughn August. This is a Vaughn Abraham podcast. Just in case you didn't know, I'm Ike Amici. Thank you for listening to High and Low. I'll talk to you next week.